struggled with that for a while. Greens and browns and olives and khakis. I'll put something on and Mary will come in here and go, mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Tell me you ain't wearing that. And I'll say, what are you talking about? Brown goes, she said, that ain't brown. And I'll say, oh, sure looks brown to me. If you need a copy of God's Word, raise your hand and, and Chad and Chris will be glad to give you one. You can take your Bibles and turn or, and or your devices to Acts chapter 11. Now, for this group right here, if any of you fall asleep, I will understand. <laughs> I really will. Uh, matter of fact, if I fall asleep, hey Brock, Brock's already asleep. Hey Brock, if I fall asleep, just come on up here, man. Take on, all right? Brock's got it. So if I, if I fall asleep, he's the man. He'll take care of it. Well, I think we survived our flood so far. I've been on flood watch, driving up and down 70 and going to park at McDonald's and praying for a week and a half. And you need to pray for our poor elder, poor elder, Mike Clay. He's like, he's the man with the Corps of Engineers in this area. And he has been working basically 24 hours a day for a while and trying to decide to blow up levees and what are we going to do. And uh, uh, I've been texting him, just letting him know I'm praying for him. That's a, a lot of responsibility and, and a lot of people's lives. And uh, we don't, it's, it's, a, it's a good reminder for us as Christians that we don't control everything, do we? And as I watch Lake McDonald's get higher and higher over, the, how many of you remember 2011 when they were voting the McDonald's employees out? They thought I lied about that. They, have, they literally were bringing boats in to get them out. It was so bad. So thank God uh, we hadn't been there yet, but we also got March 2nd coming when the river's going to crest at 40,000 feet or something. So <laughs> I think if it crests at 40,000 feet, we're all in trouble, aren't we? <laughs> then we'll, we'll be meeting God for sure, so we shall see. But a couple things I want to mention to you. I know it's, uh, you guys had a cool weekend. Uh, it's fun for me. I won't embarrass any of them, but yeah, well, no. <clears throat> I, have, I have known many of these young students their entire lives. And I'm not talking about my granddaughters. I'm talking about many others also. And just watching them grow up into men and women of God, is, it's really cool. And uh, again, I uh, hope you all had a good weekend. Try to stay awake. Andrew, you think you can make it? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, see, I'm going to call you. If you fall asleep, I'm going to call you. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have the person next to you punch you and say, get up and pray. <laughs> and you just jump up and say, dear Lord. And then I'll say, what are you doing? So I know you all had a great weekend. And thanks to all the adults as Russ was sharing. It's a cool deal. Let me mention a couple of things to you, and then we'll get into God's word. We are having a Seder meal. How many of you have no idea what that is? Okay, good. She didn't pay attention last week. Seder meal. It's a, it is the Passover meal that is eaten still by Jewish congregations today. Do it. They celebrate Passover. They eat a meal called the Seder meal at Passover. And with the Jewish Messianic congregation here locally, and I've met uh, one of their pastors. It's really a cool deal. Worked it out with Marcus. On Good Friday, April 19th, we're going to have one of those meals at the Bartlett campus. Now, this is citywide, so it will probably... Uh, fill up. Oh, if you want to go, you need to go to our website and sign up and, and pay to come to the meal. And, and basically what happens in the Seder meal, without going into any detail, is you will see how everything pictures Jesus Christ. 
in the Jewish Passover that the Lord gave them when they left, when they left Egypt with the Exodus, how it all fits. It's magnificent. It's the meal they were eating when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, for example. The Last Supper is a Passover meal. That's what they were celebrating as Jews. But all of it pictures the Messiah. You see the Holy Spirit. You see, it's just uh, it's fascinating. If you've never done it, and you can, it will really uh, uh, impact your life. And the other thing is, if you're interested, and it's coming up quickly, so you really got to decide, we're taking a short-term mission trip to Roach, Missouri, or Ethnos 360 trip. Uh, you really need to contact Chad and, and, or, or John Everson, or you can let Russ and myself know. We can pass the info, info on to them or put it on your Connect card. I want to go on the, the mission trip to Roach, Missouri. It's coming up in March, which is quickly here. And upon us, if you want to go, I know they'd love it. And it's for men and women. Men and or women, or both, or whatever you want. So if you'd like to go, I know we have some ladies that are going. So those mission trips are, short-term mission trips are a cool deal. I don't know why I've said cool deal seven times now. All right. Turn to Acts chapter 11 if you haven't. And let me kind of transition to what we're going to do today. And since Russ has already preached for us, we'll probably do this also next week. So, <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. All right. We've been looking at Antioch. If you'll take your hand out. Everybody see at the top it says Antioch, the model church, right? We've been looking at Antioch as a model church for local churches, for us to learn from, to apply in the scriptures and learn from historically and then move forward. We've looked at Antioch as a model church in evangelism. We've looked at Antioch as a model church in discipleship. We've looked at Antioch as a model church in leadership. Today, we're going to look at Antioch as the model church in stewardship. And immediately you're thinking, I'm glad I didn't bring my wallet or and or chip. But you can give online. It's okay. We'll, we'll take it any way we can get it. We're not really going to talk about so much giving, particularly today. We're going to talk about the blessing and the principle of what it means that I am a steward of God's resources. That they are not mine, but they are his. That everything that God passes through my life, time that I have, the talent that I have, and the treasure that I have. See how that alliterates real well? Everything that I have is a gift from God to use in the way that he teaches me to manage it. How can I best honor him with my time, with my talent, my resources, or the treasure that God gives to me? Scripture actually tells us that the fact that you can earn a living, the capacity to gain wealth, Scripture says, is a gift from God. And so as Christians, we need to understand what is it God wants us to do with this. And I was, I was sharing this with another pastor this week. We were talking about the subject. And I believe with all my heart, because I know it's true in my own life, that the one area that almost everyone who is a believer struggles in is in the area of honoring God properly, being a proper steward of the money, wealth, that God passes through my hands. That's why Jesus spent more time on this subject than all others combined, because he knew if I'm going to have a God in my life other than Jesus Christ, it's probably going to be my wealth or the money that the Lord brings into my possession because it's not mine, it's his. So in transitioning today and thinking about this, the last couple of weeks, if you look at Acts chapter 11, verse 27, where we're going to start. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to 
Antioch. Prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Now flip over for a moment to chapter 13, verse 1. We've already looked at this, but just hang with me, setting up the context. 13.1. Now to the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And then we list their leaders. We've already talked about that. So Antioch already had their own prophets. Why is the church at Jerusalem sending prophets to Antioch? Bottom line is, we don't really know for sure, but I want you to see some things that happen here and see maybe this is what God is doing. Because, again, for the last couple of weeks, we've talked about leadership in the church. Good teachers, bad teachers, false teachers, and that it's, it's incumbent upon the sheep to be able to trust their leadership, not just to teach them truth, but to model truth for them, and to encourage them to go out and live truth. Because there's a lot of preachers that do this for their own personal gain. They lie and manipulate sheep. They do it just for themselves. I was reading a story this week about a small town. Somewhat like Arlington, maybe a little bigger, it was a small town. And it had one barber shop, kind of like Oliver's over here. Although we got King of Cuts across the street. But got Oliver's, so they're going into the barber shop. And he's just cutting hair, you know, the barber, it's a cool place to go, hang out, and just talk. So this, uh, one, of the, one of the local policemen comes in, and he says, and, and the barber says to him, I really appreciate you, what you do, and I want you to know I, I, I really value your service, and thank you for being here for the town. And, and so he gave him a free haircut. Well, the next day, he comes in, the barber comes in, and he's getting ready to go to work and cut hair, and, and there's a box of donuts there. He knew that the box of donuts came from the policeman, and uh, you can follow the analogy. So as he's continuing his day, the local florist comes in. And he said, well, I really thank you. I appreciate how you make the town look so Every time we have a celebration, you, you, you give of your time and, and your inventory, and you make the town look so nice. That's what you know I appreciate. I'm going to give you a free haircut today. So that's really nice. And comes in the next, the barber comes in the next day, and there's a dozen flowers there. And he knows they came from the florist. And then the local preacher comes in. <laughs> you're already laughing. <laughs> the local preacher comes in and he says, well, I really appreciate the fact you, you're there for uh, our people and you, you take care of us, you minister to us, you teach us the truth. I just really want to thank you. I'm, I'm going to give you a free haircut. And the preacher said, well, thank you. And he leaves. And the next day there were 15 preachers waiting on him when he got to <laughs> the barbershop. Always looking for a handout. It's always about me. What can I do? To fleece the flock, it's important that you understand what is God doing? Not about the man, it's about the ministry, it's about God. So Antioch had its own prophets. God, for some reason, he sends several prophets from Jerusalem. And here's what I think was going on. A part of this is Randy's opinion, so leave it at that. But I also think you'll see this as we walk through this. The Holy Spirit... In his sovereignty, God in his sovereignty had given a message to the prophets that were at Jerusalem to go to Antioch and share with them because there was a famine going on that was coming, excuse me, a famine that was coming and it was going to severely impact Judea and their fellow brethren at Jerusalem. So he wanted the people in Antioch to know. The church at Jerusalem was an older church, a more mature church. And so he wanted them to take 
this message to the people at Antioch. I think one of the other things that was going on was he was saying to the church at Antioch, we're in this together. If you think back historically, and we've looked at this as we're going through the book of Acts, how did Antioch get started? The church was at Jerusalem, and it was primarily a Jewish thing, the early church. Huge numbers after Pentecost were being saved and coming to the Lord, and the church was growing exponentially, and things were really happening. And Stephen got martyred. He was murdered for his faith in Jesus Christ. And one of the men standing there, consenting unto his death and holding his clothes, was Saul of Tarsus, who would later become the Apostle Paul. And he was the persecutor of the church. Well, as a result of Stephen's martyrdom, the church is scattered. And as it's scattered, some end up at Antioch. We've seen, we've already looked at this. Hellenistic Jews, Jews who spoke Greek. Some from this area who had been in Jerusalem and they come, come to Antioch. And what do they bring with them? The Bible says they went preaching the word. Initially just the Jews, but then to the Gentiles also. And so the church at Antioch begins to explode and grow. Primarily a Gentile congregation. And I believe, and I think scripture backs this up, that what God was doing here was the famine was coming. And it was going to severely impact Judea. It was also going to impact Antioch. Not as severely, but it was coming. But he wanted the church at Antioch because they've been being taught by Barnabas and Saul, being discipled and growing. And now he wanted to say to them, here's your chance to reciprocate. Here's your chance to say to the fellow believers, the Jewish believers at Jerusalem and Judea that you're in it with them, that you care about them, that you love them, that it's one body, one Lord, one faith. We're all in this together, and that even though they're strangers to you, they're foreigners to you, they don't look like you, most of them don't talk like you, and they don't smell like you, we're in this together. They're your fellow brothers and sisters. It's a universal church with local focus. But the local church has to understand that God wants us to be involved in the lives of people that we don't even know. For example, the short-term mission trip to Ethnos, to Roach, Missouri. We know some of the people there. We know Matt and Star Arnold. But there are other people there, a few other people who work with it that are there. But the benefit will be for people that are total strangers to you. You go up there and help them, whether it's getting buildings ready or making some, so they can come in and be trained to take the gospel to all the places that they go. We get to be part of that. As you give, we get to be part of what's going on. And Brother John's getting ready to leave this Wednesday. He's leaving to go to India for 10 days. Ron Seacrum was here and we had our missions conference and Ron's ministry, Solid Rock, is at seminary in India, and John's going to go there and spend some time and speak at probably their graduation. You get to be part of that. Now, I'm, they asked me, do you want to go to India? And I said, I prayed just now, and no. <laughs> uh, my cardiologist, I believe, is in Germantown, so no, I don't think he's going to India with him. So, no, I'm not, I, I'm not going to India. 
John's been several times and he's going. But we get to be part of that. As we give, we get to be part of lives being changed in India. Uh, I was just reading yesterday an email from from, uh, Gary about Transworld Radio, some of the great things that are going on in Bonaire and and in in other places, and in Guam, to be praying for them because just a horrific typhoon season always is a big problem for them with their towers. And we get to be part of that in our prayer life and in our stewardship. As we give, we get to be part of that. So historically, here's what's going on. New Testament prophets would get a message. The Holy Spirit would give them a message and it'd be delivered to the church. The church would interpret it, would authenticate it, and then share it with the sheep as from God. They didn't have the New Testament scriptures that we had. They had Old Testament scriptures. And I want to share what God said. I'm just going to quote, if you listen closely, from two of the Old Testament prophets what God said to, through them to the leaders of the day, God said this, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you've scattered my flock and you've driven them away and you've not attended to them. Behold, I'm about to attend to you. For the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and bring them back to their pasture. They will be fruitful and multiply. I will also raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them. They will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. End quote. Through the prophet Jeremiah, through the prophet Ezekiel, God was saying to false teachers, you're manipulating my sheep. You're scattering my sheep. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to judge you. But I'm going to also provide good shepherds for my sheep. And so for those of us that are in leadership, and as we share with you, when you come to this specific arena, it's so important that you understand what Scripture says. I was listening to a guy this morning talking about giving to his ministry, and all he was doing was twisting scripture to get people to give him money. Not sharing the truth of why why you give, the benefit to you, what's going on. Just give so you can get. It was all about him. This is what the Apostle Paul, who had been Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church, who had been in Antioch, spent a year there. It became the home, we talked about it, it became the home the headquarters of the church went shifted from Jerusalem to Antioch. And that's what's going on here. This transition is taking place. We're going to see starting in a couple of weeks. He starts his missionary journeys as the Apostle Paul from Antioch. Listen to what he writes later to Timothy, his son in the faith. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who's enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern 
to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Paul realized where he'd come from. I'm chief among sinners. I was a persecutor. I was a blasphemer. Yet Jesus counted me faithful and put me into ministry. And anyone who steps up behind a podium or steps into the position of a leader needs to understand it's a privilege, it's an honor, and God takes it real serious. So in this particular arena, the church has to have people that tell them the truth. So what you're going to see here in verses 27 through 30, how it was done at Antioch, and later in the writings of the Apostle Paul, is a model how we are to be stewards. So let's start with number one on your handout, verse 27. 27. These days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and he showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Number one, how does stewardship take place? Number one, you see a need. They saw a need. Agabus' message, the prophet's message from Jerusalem, showed by the Spirit, message from God, that there's a great famine on the way, and it will be worldwide. Verse 28 says it occurred, and if you go back and study history, Josephus and others, it did occur from A.D. 45 to A.D. 48. Throughout the Roman Empire, there was a massive famine. Several bad harvests in a row, and Judea was hit especially hard. Even if you don't believe the Bible, historically, it's what happened. What Agabus said was going to happen did happen. So the Antiochian Christians saw a need, number one, of fellow believers. Fellow believers. They weren't at Antioch. They were at Jerusalem and Judea, but they were also part of them. It's the body of Christ. Remember years ago, actually I remember, I don't know why I remember the year, but it was, it, we went on a mission trip. 1991, we spent a, a week in the bottom of the Grand Canyon. We lived down there with an Indian tribe. It was one of the coolest experiences. It was 1991. There were teenagers down there, your age, had never seen a car. Never seen a car. That's probably a good thing, but we'll leave that as it is. They had one telephone in the whole village at the, at the little store, little medical place. They, they helicoptered in their food, and the prices changed by the hour. It was just, and there were no, if you went anywhere, you walked or you rode a horse. It was like going back in time 150 years. If you walked, you better make you sure you were careful where you walked. Uh, we bathed in, under a waterfall, bathed in, it was just a neat experience for a week. But I remember it went down with a missionary, and remember when the guy took us down there? He was also the local mailman. He brought the mail down once a week by horseback. He was also a missionary. To the end, the hope it was uh, the, have the Supai Indians. So we're down there with him, and we spent a week. And then he come, we, we lived in his house, and he was away doing. And he came back, and we did some work in his home. We're getting ready to leave. He's riding away, just like a, a John Wayne movie. We're back at the top of the rim of the Grand Canyon, getting ready to get in our vans and drive away. And he's up on his horse, and he rears up on his horse, and he says, "But I'll see you again. I'll see you in heaven." And rode off. That's 1991. I haven't spoken to him or seen him since. But where will I see him again? Yeah, I'll see him in heaven. See, it's one body, one Lord. We're all part of the body of Christ, which functions through local churches that you get to give, you get to pray for, to 
privilege. You get to be part of. Sometimes you get to go and see, like, again, the ethnos trip. You get to do stuff. But if you don't do anything but pray and give, you're doing the two most important things. They saw a need of fellow believers. They didn't care that they were, secondly, foreigners. They were Jewish and we're Gentiles. Remember this. Prior to the church, prior to the radical change that Jesus Christ brought in history, what was the mentality of Jews according toward Gentiles? They hated them. They looked at them as dogs. Half-breed dogs were the Samaritans. Fool dogs were just the Gentiles. They, didn't want anything. they were better than them. That's what the Pharisees taught them. That's who they were. Jesus comes and says, you love your neighbor. Even a Samaritan can be your neighbor. The parable of the good Samaritan. You love your neighbor. You pray for them. You ask God to bless your enemies. Different, radical, totally against the grain, everything they've been taught. The Romans were so narcissistic and egocentric they couldn't even come up for a word to describe these Christians because humility to the Romans was a weak characteristic, not a strength. For Christians, it was the number one strength, only thing Jesus ever said about himself. I'm humble, meek, and lowly in heart. So the Antiochian Christians who had been trained for a year by Barnabas and Saul and were growing, Agabus and the other prophets come from Jerusalem and say, there's a great famine coming. And your fellow believers are going to be in great need. Doesn't matter if they were foreigners. And they also saw that it was coming. It was a future event. It wasn't there now, but it was coming. He shared the need. Please get this principle. It's really important. This is where you see a lot of manipulation by preachers. It is our job as leaders to share needs. It's not our job to guilt or manipulate you into meeting those needs. It is our job to share them, to let you know this is where God is leading us as a church. This is what we are supporting. Every church can't do everything. But every believer and every family is called to give through their local church. We'll talk more about that as we go forward so that that church can meet needs like what we do with the help group locally, what other things, all the things that go on even like what stuff like the D-Now Weekend, all the different things that we do, whether it's student ministry, children's ministry, even some of the things that we're able to do during the week through our child care ministry. So many different things. That's local. And you've got stuff that goes all over the world that happens through Christ's church. Bartlett and Arlington, that God sends resources to us as individuals that then come to us as leaders to say, all right, how are we going to use those best to glorify God? and further the kingdom for the sake of Jesus Christ, because that's why we exist. So they see that this coming. So the principle, Agabus and the others simply share the need. They do not tell the Antiochian Christians what to do. They say, here's a need we want you to understand. Now notice verse 28 one more time. This is a worldwide famine that's coming. I thought about this this week. I don't know if it's how biblical it is, but I remember it well, so I thought about it. Notice, there's a worldwide famine coming. Would Antioch have been part of the world? Of course. 
So the famine was going to, yes, it was going to hit Jerusalem and Judea bad, but it was also going to hit where? Antioch. What they could have done, what the flesh tells you to do, is two things. The flesh or the world. There's a famine coming. People are really going to need food and water. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into the food and water business. I'm going to hoard food. I'm going to hoard water. And then when they need it, I'll give it to them. But they ain't getting the brother-in-law price. They're going to, I can make me a lot of money. That's one thing. Or they might say, well, it's going to hit us too, so we better just make sure that we take care of old number one first. How many of you remember Y2K? Some of you old enough remember Y2K? The last six months of 1999, what did we hear all over? This is it. This is the, the apocalypse. It's the end of the world. Planes are going to start dropping from the sky on, on January 1st, 2000. It's, that's it. And so there were a whole, there was one guy wrote, you know, not one guy, there were a number of Christian authors that wrote books just to make money on Y2K. And there was a whole group, particularly in the southern half of the United States, that wanted everybody to move to Eureka Springs, Arkansas and just, just hoard it up and let's all move to the mountains over there and take care of ourselves. What did Jesus say if someone has a need what are, you, what are you supposed to do? Try to meet. So we all moved to Eureka Springs. I like Eureka Springs, by the way. We all moved to Eureka Springs. And we're all hanging out together. And then some of the locals there who are a little strange, they come and want some water. What are we going to say? You know, you ain't on the list. You ain't on the list. I'm sorry. Now, if you want to give your heart to Jesus and join up, we might give you some water. It just depends. No, you meet needs. We talked about this last week. I don't remember if it was here or if there's another group that I was with. But one of the ways the, the church of Jesus Christ changed the world in the early centuries after Jesus' ascension was they would go places and take care of people nobody else would take care of. The lepers. No one else would mess with them. They were terrified of getting leprosy. That's a normal understanding. Response. Christians said, we're going to love them anyway. That's why they turned the world upside down, because they loved people, met them where they were, met their physical needs, and then shared the gospel with them. And it changed the world. That hasn't changed, that mandate on our lives. That's who we are. We should see needs and meet needs. Now, that doesn't mean you can meet every single need you see. That's why you pray and say, these are the ones we're going to meet as a church. These are the ones we're going to meet as an individual. I know in, in case of Mary and I, many times, even this, this week, God convicted us to go and just pay for something. Beyond what we give to the church, beyond what we give to missionary, just let the church know that there's a need. We're just going to pay for that. We just, you, you can't do everything. But you should do something. That's what Christians are. They see needs. They meet needs. Worldwide famine. So they saw a need. Secondly, they shared to meet that need. Verse 29. Verse 29. The disciples, each according to his ability. And the disciples, by the way, doesn't mean the twelve. It means the Christians at Antioch. The disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief 
to the brethren dwelling in Judea. So they shared to meet that need. I'm going to give you three W words and then we're going to talk about it. They shared to meet that need willingly, without strings, and wholeheartedly. They determined to send relief. I love that word. They couldn't stop the famine from coming, right? They'd seen from the Holy Spirit, given the message to Agabus and the other prophets, this famine is coming. They're not going to stop the famine, particularly in Judea where it was going to be so bad. They're not going to stop the famine. What can they do? Try to help meet the need. They determined, said, We're, we want to be part of this, to send relief. Now notice the next phrase, each according to his ability. Everybody was involved. They sent relief to the brethren in Judea. Everybody wanted to be part of it. Not everybody sent the same amount, but everybody sacrificed. Obviously, that's a principle still true to this day. We all give, but everybody's not going to give the same amount of money because everybody doesn't have the same amount of money that God has brought into your possession to steward for him. We're different. Same thing with talent. Not everybody has the same talent. So you do and or spiritual gifts. You do what God has gifted or talented you to do for the kingdom and not try to be somebody else. I'm not going to be Peter Simons. I can't do that. He does it really well. I can't do it. So what God has gifted me to do, I'm to do that. And not be jealous that I can't be somebody else. But specifically here, they sent relief to fellow saints, those that were at Jerusalem. Galatians chapter 6, the Bible says this. Let him who has taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. You see, Jerusalem had sent them teachers to Antioch who had taught them, discipled them. And now there's a big need there. Now I can turn around and help meet the need they have. Romans chapter 15, the Bible says this. Paul writes to the church at Rome. No longer having a place in these parts, having a great desire these many years to come to you. When I journey to Spain, I'll come to you. I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. But now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. Years later, Paul writes these words. He's doing the exact same thing, taking relief from the Gentile churches to the saints at Jerusalem. Here's what I want you to notice about this. It's fascinating. Beginning of the book of Acts, church was at Jerusalem. Holy Spirit fell, Pentecost. We, we, we've gone over that. We know, we know what happened. 
And one of the things it said about the church at Jerusalem during those times is that no, they didn't have any needs. Everything was being taken care of. They were really blessed and everything was going well, materially and spiritually and in every other way. But now things have changed and it's about to get bad. I think in the sovereign hand of God, here's what he's doing. Because you see it in history. Jerusalem was flourishing. They sent the gospel everywhere after the persecution of martyrdom of Stephen and persecution came on the church. They took the gospel everywhere. Ultimately, it's getting ready to go to all the Gentile nations, the Great Commission. But I believe God allowed the famine in Jerusalem hurt so that all those who, were, who had benefited from the Jerusalem believers coming to them and sharing the gospel could turn around and say, let us help you. As we grow in our faith, now let us turn around and do good unto you because you did good unto us. Not we're doing it because we have to. We're doing it because we want to say thank you. And we want to do it just simply because you have a need. They were growing and maturing in their faith. To the church at Philippi, Paul wrote these words. You Philippians know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. He only had one church then supporting him. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities over and over. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. There's two principles here I want you to see. Number one, it's the principle of gratitude. The Christians at Antioch were giving because they were grateful to all that God had done for them, and they they were grateful to the believers at Jerusalem who had been there for them, shared the gospel with them, changed their lives. Principle of gratitude. Why do I give? Because God has been so good to me. I'm grateful. Secondly, it's a principle of generosity. The church at Philippi was not a rich church. As a matter of fact, they were poor. And they begged Paul repeatedly, please take our gift. Please take our gift. Please let us be part of what you're doing. He had started that church. He called him his joy and crown. Just read the little book of Philippians. You ever want to be encouraged? The theme of it is rejoice in your circumstances no matter what. Four, like two pages in your Bible. You can read it in 15 minutes. My favorite book in the Bible, that and John. I love those two books. Principle of generosity and principle of gratitude. They wanted to be generous even though they didn't have anything. Just give what they could. The example that jumps out when you think about it is the widow's might. What did she give? Financially, it wasn't much. But for her, it was what? All she had. That's all she had. I want to give. I want to be part. Please, I, I, it's not that I'm giving because the preacher made me feel guilty and, and I knew I shouldn't have bought that car. Oh, no, that's not it. I give because I want to. God, you've been so good to me. I, I, I want to see other people saved. I want to see uh, uh, people disciple. I want to see the kingdom spread. I want, I want the gospel to go. So verse 30, third point on your outline, they sent their very best to meet that need. Verse 30. This they did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul 
went to Jerusalem. Who were Barnabas and Saul? Well, they were the two guys. Barnabas came to encourage the church at Antioch. Then he went and got, we talked about this, he went and got Saul to come help him teach him for a year to disciple him. They were the two best guys. They send him to Jerusalem with the money for accountability. One reason. But here's what I want you to notice, the beginning of verse 30. I love this because it really speaks to us as human beings. What's the phrase? What's the beginning of verse 30? What does it say? I want us to all say it together. This they what? Also did. You know what that verse says to me? They didn't just determine they were going to send relief. They did what? They sent it. How many times have you said, I'm in? And then you forget about it. I'm committed. And then as soon as you, whew, I'm glad I got out of that. They not only determined to send relief, they sent it. I won't embarrass my wife, but I guess I've already done it by saying that. We were joking this week about our income, 1973, when we got married, because we were talking about doing our income taxes. And the first year we were married, we made $6,000 total. And we both worked full time. I didn't have much of a job, but I was also in school full time. Worked the school three miles uphill both ways. They moved the school during the day. So we were just talking about, and I, I hadn't been a Christian about three years when we got married, and Mary had been a Christian at that point, I don't know, 20 years. She'd been a Christian for 10, 12 years, grew up in a Christian home. I didn't. And the first thing she taught me, and I had, we've been married 45 years. I don't think I've ever paid a bill. She asked me, I think, when I die, who's going to pay the bills? I said, don't worry about it. I'll find somebody. So <laughs> we were talking about 1973 and when we got married. And the first thing she taught me, and I've shared this with you before, but I've never forgotten it, is, she, you know, we got that, and she said, okay, we got we to give 10% of this to the church. And I've since learned it's not the 10% that's important, it's the heart. And I said, are you out of your mind? We can't do that. Our rent's $128 a month. She said, no, we have to. It's, it's what Christians do. No one had ever told me that. The church that I grew up in, this is a true story. And we're almost done. The church that I grew up in, you signed a card that we're going to give this much money this year. My mother signed a card every year. My dad never went to church. My mother would sign the card. Well, at that church, if you did not give what was on the card, guess what they did? They sent people in fedoras to your house. Well, my dad never went to church, and they only came to our house once. Slim made it real clear. You're not getting any money, and don't come back. And later on, I learned through my wife, and obviously through studying Scripture all these years, that God has been so good to me why would I not want to be, give so that others could benefit from that same God? So they send Barnabas and Saul to Jerusalem. Now Antioch is reciprocating all that Barnabas and Saul have taught them. Now look at chapter 13, verse 1, and we're done. The church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, we've gone through all those. They brought up Verse 2, they ministered the Holy Spirit, and fa- as they ministered the Holy Spirit, and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them. They sent them 
away. We've already talked about this. We're not going to go back go over all this, but I just want you to see one thing. The church. They sent Barnabas and Saul with the gift of Jerusalem, and they came back. So as they're ministering daily, the Holy Spirit says, okay, now I need Barnabas and Saul not to go to Jerusalem, but they're going to go all over the world with the gospel. And they didn't say, whoa, 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 uh, take, take somebody else, not Barnabas and Saul. No, that's not what they did. We saw before they laid their hands on them, they prayed for them, they identified with them, and they sent them out to the world. This is the turning point in the book of Acts. It's also the turning point in the history of the church and the history of the world in many ways. This is where the Great Commission enters phase three to everybody. Jesus said, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. All the nations in the uttermost parts of the earth. The Apostle Paul is about to do that from Antioch. From Antioch. You'll notice on the bottom of your handout, model principles of stewardship. We're not going to do those today. Just something for you to read and do for homework. We may do them next week. I'm praying about what we're going to do. Here's what I want you to take away from today. Generosity and gratitude are the marks of a healthy church. It's that you give because you want to. You give because you love your Lord first. And you want to see other people's lives changed like yours have been changed. Yours has been changed. The church in Antioch got it. In many ways, I believe Christ's church has got it. But that doesn't mean we can't grow in that area. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, we're grateful that we throw the term around, thank you, and I think we begin every prayer with thank you, but you, you tell us that we ought to be grateful for everything, good and bad in our eyes, because you're always working good. I think about salvation. Russ mentioned it earlier as the first point, that you, that you saved me. And if you never do anything else for Randy, that I owe you everything. You did that. So I pray for us, Father, as Christians, we would focus on the person of Jesus Christ, that you changed me, you saved me, saved us. And then we would realize that everything you've given to us is a gift, and that we would then share that willingly, generously, and with a grateful heart. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we sing and kind of close out our time together and just spend this time talking to your Lord, praying.